And as we come to the end of the program, let's have a chat about the more unusual stories to do with motoring and transport. Joining me on the line is Errol Smith. Errol, g'day, how are you? G'day, David. And Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. Now, Brian, you're going to lead the way. You're, you being a bus man. Uh, certainly, David. Uh, what do you want from a bus stop? Do you want a place to sit, a bit of shelter, some information? Well, in Singapore, they are offering you quite a bit more at the moment. They're uh, trialling in um, a, a Jurong, a part of Singapore where uh, the government is testing a bunch of smart activities and smart transport applications. They have put in a special bus stop as a trial um, and they're trying to sort of work out what features of the bus stop you may like to, to have. And some of this, the bus stop has plenty of seating. It's also got a rack of books that you that are suitable for all ages for it. Um, uh, you can read. Uh, it's got bike parking. It's got a swing. So part of the seat is actually a swing you can sit on. It's got sort of local artwork and even a rooftop garden. And in addition to that, it's actually connected into, uh, into the internet um, you can scan a QR code and download ebooks from the National Library. You can charge your phone uh, and you could look at interactive digital boards that do more than just telling you the time that buses arrive, but also provide weather information and news and things like that. And solar panels on the top help, help to offset electricity use. So as part of Singapore's smart nation, they're testing this thing, trying to find out what they might put into bus stops. Generally, the most popular thing, the ability to charge your phone. <laughs> so th this is the secret to encouraging public transport is, is basically free phone charging stations. Yeah, that's it. Convenience and ripping off the man. Well, that's what they're trying in Sydney up into the north. Well, they're proposing into the uh, the um, Manly Warringah Peninsula that they have buses that have more comfortable individual seats. Some have a PowerPoint, uh, certainly have Wi-Fi. Brian, you're very keen for bus locations be they stops be they interchanges and you don't like that word do you you don't like the word interchange that's a bit of a label mm. it's sometimes obscure david uh, what the real function of the the stop is they're often better referred to as a transit hub particularly if they're places where other activities uh, take place and, and and brought there by the activity that's generated by the transport uh, you mentioned King's Cross in station in the UK. Well, in the UK, yes, King's Cross and Pancras station, uh, almost a third of the visitors on any one day uh, are not there to travel. The point about that, it becomes an activity. When we think of a bus stop purely in the functional sense and, and, a, and an interchange or, or, or call it a hub, if you like, when we only think about it in the functional sense, then we tend to generate concrete canyons and caves almost of buses coming in. And the, the main determining feature is the radius of curvature for turning a bus. And they become really incredibly dingy, dark, concrete slab wall places which have no character at all. Mm. And I think not enough is done, David, to, to, I guess, test and find out what it is that people would like to have uh, at a bus stop. I mean, it, it, you don't often spend very much time there. You obviously need functional things like protection from the sun, particularly in Singapore, uh, and the wind and the rain. But, um, you know, what are the things that people value? Do they want to have a swing or do they want to have local information? Do they uh, want to download music? So... 
there's not enough done asking or trying to understand what people may value as part of their journey. Of course, they found mm. in lifts that people got impatient, but their way that they overcome that, I believe, was putting mirrors up. <laughs> so they could look at themselves. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe just straight, oh, straight distracted by their own by their own appearance. Yes. It's it, it's interesting what what they've done here in in Singapore is that in it's sort of it's they've kind of taken a shotgun approach where to try and determine what people are interested in. They've kind of thrown every day idea they can think of into a single bus stop, <laughs> and they're just kind yes. of seeing what sticks. Well, your other point, Brian, is, uh, for example, in a main shopping street, is that the bus stop is often squeezed into the footpath space. You would much prefer to have a little lounge area, one of the shop fronts, where people could meet, and, and, and there they could have a screen that shows when the bus is coming and so on, that it becomes better. I wondered whether it might not be what they're trying to do in Singapore is a little of the principle of the old uh, milk bar. You know, that you sort of oh, hang okay. around, have a bit of a chat, get there a bit early, uh, meet a few people. Is is mm. that a possibility? Yes, yes, I think more of a social hub, mm. uh, more of a, a place to come to get information or to um, uh, to do other things. I, I like the idea of a transport facility that's integrated with um, other purposes. So, for example, if you think of uh, most major train stations now, we'll have a supermarket. Near in them or nearby. And so you can, as part of your journey and a, as a reason for transferring between modes or pausing at this interchange uh, or hub, you might have the opportunity to do something useful and valuable, buy food for the evening, pick up your children, a bunch of those sorts of things. And I think that's what's missing. We're still thinking very much about just the travel component of it, but they can be much more. They can contribute to their community and they contribute to people who are travelling in, in many different ways. Our mate Chris Stapleton, transport planner, has—he's uh, been the one that really likes the corner store near the bus stop, so that when you get out, you can buy the milk, the bread, or whatever you want, just to supplement you know, on your way home. And now that we all have mobile phones, you can be told what you have to pick up as well. Of course, um, in some places there are shopping walls at the bus stop, and that's like images of of uh, product, products. Yes, you can scan it with your phone and purchase it from you know from the bus stop for pickup at your destination. All right, gentlemen, uh, talking about getting around, IKEA is now selling bikes. The name of the bike is the Slada. Uh, it is shipped to you. You assemble it with an Allen key, as we all expect. So, should we just? Uh, Briefly get the Kia jokes out of our system here as much as we've got. Are they building it just to ride around their huge shops? I... Yeah, how many Allen keys does it need to assemble, um, etc.? Yeah, yeah. It's quite a clever idea, David. I think it's uh, it's taken the, the IKEA ingenuity and um, and applied it to you know quite a, a nice idea. It's not a fantastic bike, but it's a very useful bike. It's, it's got uh, a belt drive instead of a chain so many of those messy things about the bike are resolved and you can buy lots of cool accessories like a trailer or a, or a front basket or bags helmets locks all, all those sort of um ikea things i'm only disappointed that uh that they called it slatter and not bike with a y bike yeah something yes, like that. Cool bike. I, I always thought i always thought a slatter was a biscuit but um... <laughs> that's a typical Aussie slurring of the salada. Salada, thanks. <laughs> 
Well, of course, most bikes sit at home not being used, so these will not even be assembled, so they'll take up less space. I think that has a certain <laughs> advantage. It's still in their box, you mean. Mm. And, and you can push it under the bed. I do like the no greasy t- chain. I like that a lot. Is this really Big Boy's Meccano? Is this, does it give you a sense of ownership to the bike a bit more if you've actually built it? Yes, that's a great a great idea, David. That that uh, I, I believe somebody said that the bicycle is the last machine that we ever understood. Uh, that most other machinery is beyond our sort of understanding as, oh, as, I see, yes. as uh, normal people. And I think yes, you could connect much more with it if you've put it on and the pedals are upside down and you know the seats in the wrong place. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yes, if you put it together correctly, then a great sense of um, of achievement. And of mm. course. They've give you a ten year guarantee on the, the belt drive and a twenty five year guarantee on the frame. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. It aims for little maintenance, which I think is very, very important. It's not not especially light. Fifteen kilograms, about five hundred and twenty Australian dollars is the sort of thing they're charging for it. But some say it might do for cycling what the model T Ford did for cars. If it had an electric motor on it, David, then yes, I would say that. But I think plenty of people have mass-produced bicycles, um, perhaps not with the sort of selling power of IKEA, but when they bring mm. out the e-bike, come and talk to me. Yeah, and you can you can buy this any co- in any colour you like as long as it's white. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, might IKEA then merge with Dick Smith or one of those people so that you could then get the electric option going forward as well? Great idea. Possibly. It, it, I, I like the, uh, it has a uh, two-speed gearbox, which is automatic, hmm. which is uh, a bit of, you know, a little bit of technology in there. Batteries are not included for the lights. <laughs> <laughs> and you just know with Ikea, it'll be some weird style of battery and globe. Yeah, yeah with you a funny name. Them. Yeah. I, I, the, the thing that uh, I, I noticed how they emphasize that it can be delivered to you. Because every single thing that I've ever got from Ikea or that I know anyone else has got from Ikea, they went and picked up in their car. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Flat pack on the roof racks. The prerequisite of getting a bike is to own a car. Errol, you have a story. Yes, yeah, so Dave, there's a lot of talk in various industries about a disruption and maybe IKEA is trying to disrupt the bicycle industry there. Uh, but the taxi industry has been the biggest example, having been uberfied. There's another term for you. Now, a, another common site on the road is getting similar treatment, tradies. A site called serviceseeking.com.au aims to be the Uber app to help you find a plumber, electrician or builder. Uh, but the industry is resisting being uberfied as tradies offer a more personal service and users expect to get to know a tradie before taking him on and, you know, letting him into their bathroom. Um, plus, a lot of them don't really want to be paid online, which is the way most of those sort of systems work. Cash, the cash economy isn't going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that one, isn't it? I, I wondered whether you were hinting at that sort of confessions of a window cleaner earlier in your description there, Carol. <laughs> That's a possibility too. I think actually as we have robotics, so a lot of the traditional jobs will be automated, we will then have much more people who can provide a personal service. An Uber is a personal service for you. 
they'll they'll come yes. and pick you up and drive it. And and perhaps we might need to do that a lot more to be more employed. That we offer personal services, uh, but therefore it's just the sort of dial-up sort of system that they're proposing here. Uh, I, now, did you ever see that Conan, the the American talk show uh, host, who had that video on guiding hands? That's for people who want to walk down the street looking at the phone. They have someone beside them who's a guiding hand that guides them through the thing. <laughs> uh, and also someone driving and texting. Well, uh, the guiding hand person leans over and, and turns the steering wheel for them. And the, uh, of course, it's a spoof sort of thing. But at the end, there's a man lying in bed and the camera pans out a bit and you see the blankets going up and down. And there's obviously a guiding hand man doing something for him. <laughs> Right, and then the, the the camera pans back further, and the wife's sitting on the other side of the bed. So there's a guiding hand woman doing uh, <laughs> her bit as well. But that that whole thing of Uber, that whole almost sharing sort of society, but then get paid for it, is something that could go far and wide. Even to the point I saw the other day where they have like hitchhiking, only you meet up via the internet. Oh yeah. Yep. Mm, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think the the point they were getting at with this is that if someone picks you, if you want to get a taxi ride or the equivalent of one through Uber or whatever, it doesn't sort of matter too much what the person's like as long as they turn up and take you where you want to go. Whereas someone who's actually going to work on your own house or you know some something else of yours, you want to have a bit more of a personal relationship with that person. Um, so I don't know. It's, I, guess, it's a... I guess you have the chance to, to. Um, I mean, in a sense, I have no idea whether a tradesman's going to be any good or not, un unless other people have said they are, or mm. if after they've done something for me, I'm satisfied with it. And so, as long as there are ranking and rating systems that say, you know, this person is reliable, and there's and there's no way for them to interfere with that rating system, then this idea that you might put a job up and and tradespeople bid for it. And you can choose somebody based on their feedback and, and their mm. um, location. I, I think it can work. So it really just requires, I think, the tradies to uh, embrace the digital world. The interesting thing is they've tried to rate various drivers in the Uber sense. And uh, particularly on long distance trips, you can pick uh, a non-talker, a moderate talker or a, a real gas bag. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and so you can get rated for that, and and different people would want different things. I suppose with the tradies, you know, you might tick the box, you know, uh, uh, plumbers crack or something like that. Just, do, do you want to see? <laughs> do you want to see it or not? <laughs> Brian, you're just going to finish us off for the day. David, this is a story about um, individuality and and what it costs you. Uh, Peter Maddox. Uh, elderly gentleman uh, who lived in a, a beautiful picture postcard uh, village um, at uh, Bibri in Gloz, um, bought a bright yellow car. He'd always wanted something bright yellow. He got a Vauxhall Corsa. He was very proud of it. But it seemed that a whole lot of people in his town thought that he was having a lend. They thought that his yellow car was dis detracting from the historic look. And in particular, tourists coming to take pictures of this beautiful village and particularly the the street Arlington Row that uh, that they lived in were offended by having this bright yellow car 
uh, in the shot. And a lot of people thought that he was doing it deliberately in order to ruin the, um, the sort of uh, tourist market. So people vandalised his car. They caused 6,000 pounds of damage and scratched the word move into the bonnet of the car. He gave in. He got rid of his yellow car and he now owns a grey one because, um, uh, you know, people probably won't vandalise his grey car and it won't detract the eye from the beautiful old village. What a sad, sad story that that uh, somebody's uh, pleasure, you know, a bit of innocent pleasure in their car was uh, ruined by um, what are awful, tasteless people, I think. Mm. Yeah, unfortunately, the, uh, the, the 14th century house that he lives in wasn't built with a garage, clearly. <laughs> That's right. If you go back to the 1800s and earlier, we often think of them as being very dowdy, even inside and the paintings. And you look at American history uh, with sort of uh, European influence of history, that uh, you look at the inside of the house of some of the people that wrote the Constitution and so on, and you find that their colours were extremely bright. And when they've restored them to their real colours, people have said, oh, no, that's not what I imagined it should be. Uh, and that's suggesting that you know, the ancient world was a dowdy world that didn't have colour. And if you've got an old house there, well, how dare you put colour you know, associated mm. with any sense? I think that's wrong. And I agree with you, Brian. I think mm. I believe they're going to repeal 18C over there for freedom of colour of the car that you want. Uh, for the <laughs> particular law. Uh, but then again, I, I mean, I know a mate whose neighbours gently wrote him a note and sort of said, could you please mow your lawn? It's inconsistent. You know, the somewhat uh, horrible look of your lawn is inconsistent with the character of the street. But at least that was just nicely writing a note. It wasn't vandalism. Mm. Yeah, what were you gonna, how are you going to vandalise the lawn? Mow it? Well, you could mow it. <laughs> mow yeah. it for them. I don't know if you saw any of the Formula One uh, race in Australia, but they had one of the Formula One cars was pink. Yes, yes, there's been a lot of lot of um, controversy about that. I'm not sure I particularly uh, support that. I, but am I offended? And should should the person be allowed to be different? Well, it's the colour of the sponsor, so. It's, the sponsor's paying, so they get to have their colour there, I guess. Mm. I'm, I'm surprised that this, this gentleman didn't have to replace his, his car with a black Model T just to <laughs> replace out of right. place. <laughs> Maybe some old... Um, horse and buggy. Yeah, yeah horse and buggy. Yeah, I was, I was thinking, pe- people are complaining that it was, he was photobombing their you know, the, the tourist shots. Well, I'm sure there's an app out there that would replace any car in the background with a grey horse and cart. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be done with it. Don't know what they're complaining about. Uh, I think we're taking our self-righteousness just a little bit too far. I think that's a common problem. Gentlemen, lovely to talk to you. Thank you once again for your time. No worries, David. Thank you, David. Uh, it's Brian Smith and Errol Smith, and we we're talking unusual stories in the world of motoring and transport and perhaps how that might affect other professions as well.